Recorded live. Hey, welcome to tonight, the American Liberties Call. It is July 26th, and um, and tonight we're going to have Dave Marilyn as soon as he gets back on the phone. And many of you, I'm sure, have already heard the uh, the recording of the interview that Larry Beecraft had with Dave Marilyn. It was it was excellent. And you saw it in a nutshell what Dave, what Larry Beecraft had to say, which is the closest thing ever to an endorsement. And you know, and lawyers are, you know, kind of a up there thing. They don't want to give too much credit where credit's due outside of uh, the bar. But Larry did, but Larry did a good job. It was a great call. Dave did tremendously good, and. Um, and it sounds like um, they'll be back having another interview, hopefully in a reasonable amount of uh, short time. So we'll see. But there's a uh, there's been a lot of questions about you know getting the liens and levies off a lot of emails and so forth. You know when you know when can I get you know. When can I get to have it done and all this? And we're putting together a system or attempting to put it together a system that will be able to work. And as we're doing it, as we're focusing on it, other things are coming into play that that help. And it stops us from getting one thing done until we research the other and see if it's to be added to or subtracted from. So... It's just going to take a little time, and and any of you want uh, Don Grant's email address, he doesn't want to give his phone out, uh, this out there for various reasons. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and undo enrich and uh, scratch. Um, take a chance. I I don't recognize the name. But, you know, I hope you're not a disruptor. Um, I hope anybody on the call is not a disruptor. I mean, hope you find your enjoyment somewhere else. Anyhow, the um, his email is... Uh, hold on a second. Um, did you want to say something? Oh, okay. Now I got a phone call. Hold on, I'll be right back. All right. Sorry about that. The uh, is. JD.consultants at live.com. JD. JD.consultants with a plural, consultants at live.com. And um, he doesn't really want to give me his, give his phone number out for obvious reasons. So um, 
he can only handle so much and he stays pretty busy, but he has a system that has worked. And uh, and so uh, we're looking forward to uh, helping him, helping others, as well as us helping others, because there's, there's just too many people out there that need need to help. So, uh, so with that said, uh, Dave, are you available yet? Okay. Hope I didn't hang up on him. Uh, I can't talk and do do something. Any luck? Okay, I got to get him back on the phone. Hold on. Eight one six zero. All right, let's let's try that one again. Um. What, is this any way to start a ball game? All right, hold on a minute. All right. Um, we're having a little difficulty here. Are you hold on just a second? Be right back, people. Okay, so without further ado, um, I'd like to introduce Dave Marilyn. It looks like everybody here is uh, a friendly. A friendly. So far, they're friendly. Uh, taking a <laughs> chance on a couple, but um, uh, we have a guest seventeen, and uh, let's see, but. Dave, go go ahead and tell us what what's on your mind tonight. Oh, what was it about the intro you didn't want me to hear? Um, <laughs> well, you can hit the recording. Um, okay. No, I just I just gave a brief overview of how well it went with you and Larry Beecraft that I thought it was phenomenal, and uh, I believe most people here on the call had listened to the recording, so. Um, it was it was a good call. Do you have those excerpts handy? Uh, yes, I do. In in that one paragraph, go ahead. It's one paragraph. I spliced together the comments that I took from the interview 
regarding uh, Beecraft's impression of uh, what I do and how I do it and uh, put it all in one paragraph. Go ahead, Chris. Okay. And um, do, you, what, do you want me to read it or something? Yeah, I'm outside. Oh, okay. All right. Well, hold on just a second. Let me. I didn't expect that uh, you to do do that to me. So let me get it. Um, get what? The interpreter? I'm just uh, kidding. The. Um, hold on. <laughs> okay. Here it is. Okay. It's um, uh, for those who heard the call. And you know it was it was pretty much uh, about forty about forty nine minutes for forty seven minutes of actual call without the commercials. But basically, in a nutshell, this is what Larry had to say. I've known this guy for fifteen years. I know him to be a diligent student of the law. He's dug into the Internal Revenue Code. He speaks with authority. He's done a lot of research, and he is battling the system. He's got a website, and I invite all of our listeners to go there and spend the time because this is an ex- uh, extremely important topic. He has constitution. It, it has constitution. Constitutional. Uh, Oh, boy. Significance. Yeah, significance. And always, you're a great guest, and I want to have you back. And, Dave, before you get started, (laughs) that's a lot different than what he says about a a lot of the other people over the years when they talk about their knowledge about the tax code. Yeah, famously, um, uh, the first there's somebody up here in Washington I'm going to be speaking with pretty soon. I might share the name later, but um, for all intents and purposes, he's very accomplished regarding fighting the IRS. And uh, and we're talking 1980s. Uh, he was just clubbing them. And um, first thing he said when he heard this is, little B-Crab doesn't endorse people. Yeah, that's right. He, has he ever recommended anybody to go to somebody else's website? So it's not like he's saying, uh, you know, that he's verified everything in my treatise and looked at each one of my conclusions and researched it out. But uh, diligent student of the law, he wouldn't say that about somebody that wasn't a diligent student of the law. He knows what one looks like. And let's take that exact uh, notion. He knows what a diligent student of the law looks like. He is one. Uh, with or without me, he obviously is one. And then look at whether or not he would readily identify somebody else as one. Uh, he's been in practice how many years? He's not just going to say somebody's a diligent student of the law without um, having thought about it first. So... And this is in relation to tax law. It's not like I'm a divorce attorney, uh, the hardest law on the planet. <clears throat> and he actually recommends that people go look at what I teach. And uh, and you go to that website, you find some fool's got all the 
all the case law on citizens' arrest in one place, all the federal statutes in one place to prove they're stealing every penny they get. All this working on the list of state income tax statutes that show on a state by state basis they're cheating you of federal provisions that they've adopted as state law. What kind of fool would put all that in one place? Yeah, he didn't call me a fool. He told everybody to go there. So here's an attorney of note and uh, very accomplished, and he recommends people view what's on my site. Has he ever done that before Uh, for anybody, especially in tax law? In tax law or out, who has he uh, recommended to people? So there is an endorsement of degrees in uh, what he had to say on the radio show. Had a good time. And it was all about what is and is not gross income. It was really uh, profit 101 type level of a course. And uh, it was a very quick show, three 15-minute segments, and and, uh, half of it is him talking. So um, there's a couple of spots in that show, though, where I thought listening to it again, and I did this on purpose, because he has the reputation he has uh, to just drop a couple things right in his lap. You know, there's plenty, I had plenty to say on uh, plenty of his questions, but there's a couple that he asked me where I just uh, summarized it real quick and passed it right back to him. And um, so he could, it, it forces him to pick it up and, and move with that notion instead of me explaining everything to him <clears throat> and taking up the time. One example was, um, he says, yeah, in the 80s, there's a a couple guys that came out with a book about how uh, your labor should be a a cost and its property. And um, and then he says their names, I can't remember. And uh, he says, uh, what's that got to do with Section 83 or something? I said, it's a statutory tie to those principles. And that's all I said. And that's right just to say that to an attorney that's very keen on statutory interpretation. You've just cited a thousand Supreme Court decisions. This is a statutory tie to those principles, meaning those principles are law. Um, A couple other parts in there where uh, I just really stated something very succinctly like the way the, the movement the folks in the movement that are stuck in the mindset where you can't teach them black and white law, um, how they've cheated their children with what they do. They have no political power whatsoever. They don't even vote. They don't register to vote. They're on the outside and they have no say whatsoever in how their country is run. And that's, I, I just stopped talking at that point. Back to you, Larry. And uh, it was, uh, it was, you know, we got some student stuff, student level stuff out of the way, and then really spoke uh, more big picture in the last segment. So anyway, uh, it was fun to hear those things from Larry B. Kraft because he debunks everybody. And uh, early on, when I saw people that were not making statutory arguments go down in flames all kinds of times and 
And the case law I was studying is how people beat the government, and it was always because statute uh, supported the the citizens' argument. So that's really what pushed me that direction and away from the people that weren't arguing statute. Because, uh, as I told them, when you get to court, the law is all that's going to matter. You can have all the all the theories you want in the world or the desires for constitutional applications to a certain situation, but they're going to fight you all the way. If you can start with statute, and you can't do that without having done a bunch of research, uh, which I've done, and I've got the litigation to prove, they can't talk about it. And uh, when the government can talk about something, you're going to lose money. <laughs> Every time the government comes and finds you, you're going to lose money, maybe even liberty. And believe me, if Section 83 did a number on your paycheck, they'd be hitting you with it. But it doesn't, and so they can't talk about it. <clears throat> They'll talk about the one that sounds like you owe a tax, Section 61A, but they won't talk about 61B that says better go consider uh, this subchapter where Section 83 is, oh, okay, let's go there, and bingo, Section 83, it applies, it explains how to tax me, you can't say gross income until it's operated, period, and they won't get into the language of the provisions that operate on your paycheck. Um, that's that's what entices Laurel B. Craft about the argument is that it's not because Section 83 has a number. Oh, he has a twist on the tax code. Somebody's citing one statute and hanging their hat on it. No. There's a standard for computing or calculating cost for the person who has sold their labor that the IRS never considers. And it's in statute. There's a statutory mechanism for computing your cost when you sell your labor. And you can't have it. That's how big this is. It's about slavery. Are they going to get part of your labor? No, you don't have to show up in the job and work for them. When you work for somebody else, they'll take a slice. May as well be slavery. Anyway, so it's, it's very uh, uh, visceral. It strikes at the core of the human being. It's part of your substance, free labor, and they take a cut, and this is how they do it. So just because it's got a number doesn't mean it's some some shop-worn little twist on an old argument that's been rejected so many times by the court, Your Honor, and this petitioner should be fined for being frivolous like they do to us. But when you come in with a statute and all those cases that say statute is first, and if it's clear language, then our inquiry is over. We're just the courts. Suddenly, it's a different day against the government. Because the only thing to save them now, the complexities of the tax code have been solved. Exactly which provisions to argue, exactly how to argue them, and nothing else in the way. And then all the case law in the world that says micromanagement, every word of that statute, and I come out with a free paycheck. So <clears throat> that's the kind of argument to wage, statutory. And the more research I did, the more arguments fell by the wayside, 
because I found bigger arguments that you don't really know to formulate until you've read all the little ones. You found a bunch of little violations, you know, <clears throat> and you come across some really big ones. Uh, when Once I did all the work I cared to do, I came out with, you know, these first two findings are dynamite. And listen to how easy it is in the Supreme Court to tell the Supreme Court, uh, despite years of litigation under in many venues, no court will rule as to whether or not 26 CFR 1.1-1 deviates from Section 1. Because the regulation lists who is the citizen that owes this tax. And district court on the First Circuit says the uh, regulation identifies the subject of the tax. The Seventh Circuit on appeal, on the appellate level, Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals says the regulation identifies the subject of the tax. Does the regulation deviate from statute? The statute doesn't mention citizenship, and the regulation does. You can't do that with the regulation. And secondly, if the regulation does deviate from statute, is it the regulation from which the IRS gets its source of authority to include in Chapter 1 enforcement and taxation the, quote, citizen of the United States, end quote, question mark? <clears throat> That's an extremely simple question. I had to fill in all the corners just so you know I'm not generalizing. But it is that simple. They've decided about a bunch of different regulations a bunch of different times. Uh, the first case that comes to mind in my annotation is Tracy versus Swartout. Uh, was that 1824? I can't remember. S-W-A-R-T-O-U-T. Um, the uh, second question I have all this case law that says the term any means everything unless the law provides for an exclusion. I have these Supreme Court cases that say uh, labor is property. And I have a statute that says only the excess over the amount paid is gross income that explains how to tax me. And the amount paid is defined as the value of any money or property that I paid for my paycheck but they exclude labor from any property without support in the law to do so. Are they in violation of Section 83 or in compliance with Section 83 when they tax the fair market value of my labor as gross income? If they are in compliance with it, how does their interpretation of the term any property and this exception, born of thin air, how does that comport with the boatload of case law that says any property means all of it? A bunch of appellate cases since 2013, citing Supreme Court cases that go right through 2008, that say uh, where the government wins in the Supreme Court saying the term any means all of it. They can't point to an exclusion in the law, and the government wins. <clears throat> suddenly when it's about money, the government loses. Oh, no, they don't. We're not going to talk about it. There, the government wins. And so that question is going to the Supreme Court. How can you, and here's the traverse. You're going to love this, the third one. 
Those are the first two arguments. And the second one being, how do you interpret the term any property in 1.83-3G? The government just says labor is excluded from any money or property. Well, that it, it's not reflected in the law. And so here's the traverse. Well, you're making an exception this time. The government says uh, any doesn't include labor. But in all the other cases it won in the Supreme Court, it said any means all of it, all property that it's pointing to. And so now there's an exception, but it's not in the law. Void for vagueness. The tax is not imposed by clear language, an exception that isn't even in the law that contradicts all of this recent case law, including Supreme Court cases. Void for vagueness. Not imposed by clear language, the taxpayer wins. Uh, the case law on that, um, uh, Spreckles, uh, Refining Company versus McCain, something like that, uh, Hassett versus Welch, Security Bank of Minnesota uh, versus Commissioner, there's an annotation on this that says uh, the tax must be imposed by clear, uh, clear and unequivocal language where the construction of a tax law is doubtful. The doubt is to be resolved in favor of whom upon which the tax is sought to be laid. So that's the third argument. If you have to rely on an arbitrary, unwritten, unspoken exception to law that clearly operates in someone's favor until they've heard this unspoken policy drawn from thin air? How is that imposed by clear language? It's imposed by a secret code, a policy that's, that is found in case law alone. Now I have to be a scholar of case law just to tax my paycheck? What if the first case law I find is about Section 83? I'm going to stop my research, aren't I? Here's a statute. I don't. And when I comply with this, they can't talk to me. Apparently, and they come out of the woods saying, well, hell no, where's my machete? You had it now. You didn't follow the arbitrary rules, citizen breath. The unspoken rule. How many movies have you seen where uh, a stranger walks into a, a certain community or neighborhood and they got way out customs or traditions? Uh, you might see it on the outer limits or something. Uh, or sliders. or <laughs> And... Uh, it, it, you'll, it'll be impossible to fit in. Like the first episode of Sliders, uh, Quinn gets in his car to drive to school, and uh, the traffic lights, red means green. <laughs> so those were opposites. And, uh, <clears throat> for example, so anyway, you can't just draw a policy out of thin air and expect Joe Lunchbucket to know it was there. Well, you didn't know our policy, and so here in tax court, you've submitted a frivolous petition. We're going to penalize you $25,000 under tax code section 6673. Oh, that's fair. Just because you don't live with the IRS so that you know all of their jargon and their, their whims, uh, you lose. Because the law is last, has nothing to do, uh, as we just learned, uh, a few weeks ago uh, at an IRS administrative summons hearing. <laughs> Are you telling us you want us to research Section 83? Section 83, what's that say? 
This is what the IRS officers were asking the uh, citizen that was summoned. It's something else. Are you telling me you want me to research that? You mean you're issuing summons and you don't, you've never acquainted yourself with the language or operation of the statute that explains whether I have one penny of gross income? Really? And they're out there destroying lives, seizing records, breaking down doors, sending people to prison. <clears throat> Man. Now, uh, the Supreme Court, has anybody gone out and read Supreme Court Rules 10 and 33 yet? The keys to the country to get a petition properly before the clerks, <laughs> just before the clerks. You have to know how to comply with the rules 10 and 33. How are you going to do that? Good luck. That's your homework assignment. Uh, bring aspirin. <laughs> uh, they're nightmares. So uh, here comes the 11th Circuit, Chris Chapman. And in this corner, right there with him on the 9th Circuit, is Karen. And uh, those two in that corner versus one thug in the opposite corner. Like two Bugs Bunnies and then that crusher in the opposing corner. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that episode. But uh, anyway, uh, that's about to happen. And the petitions will be almost identical. And uh, the government will then choose which one they ask to stay the proceedings for. Do they want the 11th Circuit stayed or do they want the 9th Circuit stayed? They can't stay Chris's entire petition or Karen's entire petition because uh, they're raising a couple of arguments that are not in common. Um, So it might be difficult uh, to do that. Uh, they might ask for a partial state, but I don't see how they can ask for part of the suit to go forward. So um, that's interesting. It might operate as a doorstop. They won't be able to stay. The, the door will stay open. <clears throat> and maybe both cases will be docketed and the separate issues heard. Uh, or they might agree to hear one of the cases and say we won't hear this last issue. So we don't need to worry about staying the other one. We're going to stay the other one and not even hear that other issue because it, uh, it's not before the court. I don't know what they're going to do. I didn't want to be a judge. They did. Not our problem, right? And uh, here those three arguments go to the Supreme Court. If this regulation does deviate from statute, does statute without this regulation can rightfully be deemed to identify citizens of the United States as a subject of the Chapter 1, Section 1 tax. No. When Congress identifies a subject, it does so by citizenship. Anyway, um, it's nice to be at this spot. Got another person in Massachusetts uh, that wants to start a lawsuit. So uh, we got a uh, buckle down and decide exactly where to file this next one and uh, I'm not saying there might be another one so 
it's between Massachusetts and Texas right now who goes first. And uh, maybe both of them will go. Uh, but I want to get those people together soon and um, and decide uh, who's going to be on what docket numbers, the Fifth Circuit down in Texas or the First Circuit up in Massachusetts for the lawsuit for clear explanations. We're going to have a decision. Well, we should have an opposition pleading from the government soon in the Kentucky counterclaim. Uh, they filed a motion to dismiss the counterclaim, saying you're not entitled to clear explanations. He filed a uh, quasi-derogatory reply to that because it deserved to be in their face, in their faces, excuse me. And they'll file a reply to that any day now. And then the court, within after a week, but probably less than two or three weeks after that, we'll make a decision as to whether or not to let the uh, lawsuit go forward. They're in there trying to convert liens into real estate. It's not his real estate. They'll lose. But uh, still, if they want money from you, you got to put your finger on the law permitting it. And that's all he's asking in his counterclaim. Please compel them to provide the clear explanations that I'm entitled to. Helvering versus Texpen Oil Company, 1937. And uh, they have to hew to the law with indifference. That means they have to know the law, damn it. <laughs> and so really bonehead, and we'll see if the uh, district court on the Sixth Circuit will let him go forward. And if that isn't a bonehead, easy appeal. Uh, the payday in that comes from keeping the appeal absolutely stripped. The whole argument would be about four pages. Am I entitled to clear explanations or not? And the Sixth Circuit said, will say, uh, no, we've already ruled that you can't have access to the law. Thank you. And then you make the Supreme Court petition even simpler. <laughs> They're digging their own grave. <clears throat> and looking at the quality of the pleadings, yeah, he gets away with some things because he's pro se. Uh, and I don't mean quality-wise, I mean... Uh, rhetoric-wise, but um, the quality of the pleading, it has every benchmark of somebody that's able to appeal, and so uh, I don't expect that to dissuade them, but they have to know that this could go up on appeal, and if they could appeal something this damn simple, you could almost march right into the Supreme Court and have this heard. So so anyway... Um, and the DOJ knows they're walking a fine line because of all these other cases. And they're all coming from one place, and that's from uh, my students, people that know my arguments. And um, that will go to the Supreme Court. And then on the Fifth Circuit and probably the First Circuit, Massachusetts and Texas, um, just for clear explanations. No, you can't have them. All the way to the Supreme Court. As I've said, don't litigate tax law unless you're going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. All the dirty work's done on the first levels. And this other strategy, I'm I'm about to teach it to somebody else that has a real bad attitude of taking a tax court case where you didn't raise these statutory arguments and raising them for the first time on appeal and sandbagging them with uh, what is probably going to end up being a thousand pages worth of evidence by the time we get up to the Supreme Court <laughs> and uh, 
just dump it all for the first time on the record on appeal and exchange briefs. <laughs> it's so much simpler than a civil suit. I can't believe it. And uh, the guy I'm talking about is really very astute. So anyway, uh, we'll see where that goes. And now the people that uh, have supported us, of course, thanks a lot. And and uh, the people that have heard me talk a good game and, and uh, talk down these tax movement gurus when it comes down to it, does Dave know how to go to court? And uh, Chris can tell you the answer. He could have told you the answer before this appeal. He, he saw what happened up in Alaska, the front row seat. He, he was flown to Alaska and was working with the defendant in the criminal case and saw the exchange of briefs, saw termination of counsel and uh, offer of proof go in with all the exhibits and saw me handle these arguments separately in different motions to dismiss. And uh, the government on December 12, 2008, uh, filed their reply briefs to these two arguments and failed miserably in really addressing the core challenges. And he saw me write the reply, so this is nothing he hasn't seen me do before, and now we've converted it to appeals. They struck the, uh, didn't strike it, but they uh, uh, rejected the first brief because it was too long, and so he just said, consider it my first offer of proof, and here's my amended brief. It's shorter but it incorporated the offer of proof by reference as it fully restated herein with all the exhibits. So it didn't serve them at all to object to the oversized brief. They should have just moved on. And that worked swell. And uh, now the two appeals are done. We're just waiting for the court of appeals on those two circuits to uh, render what they call an opinion what passes for an opinion on the Ninth Circuit. That's anybody's guess. But uh, it's going to be, you know, the first thing I'm going to look for when the second one comes in, they're going to rule in one of them and then rule in the other. And the first thing I'm going to look at the two opinions for is to compare them to see if they're pretty much the same. And that means the Ninth Circuit was talking with the Eleventh Circuit to consolidate an opinion, despite the fact it shows up in two different courts, so that there's one opinion to appeal in the Supreme Court instead of going two different ways. So they don't want to hand us our ticket to the Supreme Court by rendering uh, varying, differing, maybe even opposing opinions. Anyway, uh, fun stuff. I got to tell you, it's... uh, it's exciting to be at this level. And for the student out there, uh, let's see what Dave's going to do with this one. Okay, we're going to the Supreme Court. How many times? Oh, probably four or five. Oh. Oh. What did Pete Hendrickson do? I don't know. <laughs> Does it even register? Anybody out there in, in the movement? And when you read the documents, just to represent these two arguments, there's a lot that goes into the documents. Every corner that they can run into or have run into in the past, I have to sew it up with case law in advance to make sure there's nowhere to run from the argument. So there's a whole lot I have to put in each one of these, uh, these pleadings that argues these uh, findings. 
but um you know it's i've done so much research now it's a lot of rewriting uh more than it is new research <clears throat> so uh anyway that's where that all sits and uh for those who haven't listened to the beecraft interview yet i hope you enjoy it and uh it does sound like an endorsement to degrees uh on the part of Lowell Beecraft which is uh rare as hen's teeth and to recommend people to go to my site and study it um and to to grill me on on the topic of gross income and uh contemporary statutes like he did on that show and then says you're always a great guest I want to have you back here uh that's a a big step forward toward an outright endorsement and I don't expect him to come through my whole treatise and verify. I would like him to look at a couple of arguments and then look at what the government has said in reply in a few different instances in brief and then, you know, ask himself and reconcile in his own mind uh, whether or not they're running. That uh, if I was wrong, they could get a lot further into the provisions that I cite and quote in uh the arguments, they could come a lot closer to it. It's their job. Tell me how I misinterpreted 1.83-3G when I said that it includes any money or property, including labor, in the category of amount paid or cost. They can't talk. They don't even cite that regulation in their rebuttal. And it's everything. What does that say? If it wasn't everything, they'd be hitting you with it, like they do 61A. Anyway, <clears throat> big week, and uh, the weeks are going to get bigger. So uh, my personal wish is that uh, Donald Trump keeps Jeff Sessions, that I think he's a very nice, honest man, and he's swimming with sharks but behaving, uh, not behaving aggressively enough toward the issues in front of him. And uh, when he recused himself from the Russia investigation, and the reason I mention this is because Trump is thinking of getting rid of him. Uh, when he recused himself from the Russian situation, I thought it was a great way to put out what could have become a great big political brush fire with the left uh, clamoring about a conflict of interest. Oh, he's Trump's buddy. He's going to handle the investigation. And so I didn't think it was that bad of a decision. It was kind of a surprise, but I figured, you know, he knows what he's doing, and uh, there's nothing that prevents him from appointing somebody that's going to do a great job. Mueller had a great reputation. Turns out he's a a Hillary hack in in too many ways and hired a bunch of attorneys that were donors to the Hillary campaign to investigate. So uh, that's what's blown up in Jeff Sessions' face. Uh, he he did pretty much the right thing. It was a coin toss when he recused himself, and the fact that he did not stay on and the person he appointed is really a, a piece of crap, uh, that's what's hurting Jeff Sessions. And I, I think Trump should just wipe the slate clean, have a meeting with him, say, you know, I want you to go out there and uh, and use testicles for coin purses. <laughs> and uh, 
the uh, uh, and turn him loose because uh, I trust his judgment. Uh, he just needs to learn what aggressive is because you know as a state attorney general in Alabama, he didn't have to handle a bunch of criminal investigations only on uh, the white collar type, and this is really seedy, corrupt type of uh, conduct that he's been asked to investigate and address, and uh, his wheels just haven't met the road yet. Well, folks, it's about the top of the hour. Getting close. Uh, a couple questions, Chris, and we're out of here. Okay, I'd like to add two things. When you mentioned me having the front seat at uh, the court in Alaska, I did, and I was in the guy. The guy was in jail, and I had the power of attorney to discuss his affairs with his attorney. And I brought what Dave is talking about to the attorney and with Dave's briefing and gave him the weekend to go over it. And I remember meeting him in the house saying, okay, I want you to argue these. And he says, I can't. I said, why can't you? He said, because I'm an officer of the court. I mean, you know, just think about that for a minute, people. I mean, here's a here's a defense attorney. Now he's he's one of those um, you know um, paid attorneys by the state, so you know he's he's looking to keep his job because he's not good enough to go on the, on his own, and so a public a public defender. So he uh, he although he did have his own practice but it was probably handling parking tickets. But he, um, when, when, he, when he read the brief, and it was in detail, I said, this is what we wanted to argue. And he says, I can't. He says, because I'm a, a, a officer of the court. And I looked at him, and very politely, I said, you realize you're fired, right? And he goes, I figured. And I said, um, so... Now we got to go through finding another attorney. And the second thing I wanted to bring up was you mentioned Pete Hendrickson. Now, David has a course about mens rea. And the more I talk to people about it, the more it's hitting home that forget about the, you know, about Pete Hendrickson. But we gotta, I got to use Pete Hendrickson because many people follow his procedure. And when, you, and when they do follow the procedure, whether it's right or wrong is irrelevant. They sign, they, they, they use the, the code. They use the statutes. They use the forms produced and given by the IRS for you to fill out. You fill out the 1040. You put all the numbers in the 1040. If 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 you have a hundred and you deduct 99 and you leave with one, and that is not enough for you know gross income to tax, that that's the way it is. It, it can't you, you can't refute it. Okay. So when when these people put you know zeros in there and whatever the bottom line comes out. The thing that you do on the bottom is you sign the document under the penalties of perjury. Now, notice that they always charge you will Wilford pay you to file or uh, making false documents. 
they never bring up the fact that you perjured yourself. They never bring up the fact that you intentionally lied and to fill out these forms. And so, you know, so the mens rea course is very, very important for not only the Pete Hendrickson people, but anybody that's been committed of a crime that they rightfully, lawfully, intentionally thought they were not violating any laws. I can't stress it enough. Dave goes in detail on that. You can look at the free video on part three on on the Internet, and you can imagine by that what part one and two is, okay? It goes into great, great detail in case law all about intent. And, And, you know, if you had a guilty mind, at the time you did the event or the action or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, if you fill out a 1040, you signed it under the penalties of perjury, whether you fill out these these little forms about, you know, uh, correcting the miscellaneous uh, 1099 and all that stuff, that's all good and and, and well, I guess. I mean, you did it, you done it, and, you, and, and now you got to, you got to pay the piper for it. Or do you have to pay the piper? Because you didn't do it with criminal intent. You listen to a guy who wrote a book. It has a lot of, you know, legal mongrel jungle in there. And it talks about the statutes. And, what, and again, I'm not criticizing Pete Hendrickson. But I'm, what, what I am doing is criticizing the people if they don't get this men reyes course and just sit there and complain about how wrong the IRS is. We know they're wrong. We know they're criminals. We know there's corruption. The courts are corrupt. But, you know, you you got to have more knowledge to fight that corruption. And only at we, v, gov, W-E, the letter V, G-O-V, gov, dot com, can you get the answers to arm yourself with the truth and narrowing it down. I mean, it's, you know, Dave, in, in just in the last five years, Dave, Dave has narrowed this down to very little arguments now, you know? I mean, when you read the criminal complaint and the memorandum of law, you sit there and say, wow, he handles the, the assessment. He handles Title Four, Section 72. He handles, I'm not, you know, I'm not named in the statutes, only by regulations. And he handles Section 83, and he handles the, uh, the 2555 or whatever form it is. And, you know, he handles all these issues. But none, now it's narrow. It's more precise. It's more on target. You can see it with a laser beam. And, and, and I know we're close, folks. I know we're so close in not only getting something done on a positive note, but getting liens and levies off at, at the same time. So um, that's what I had to say. And um, so I want to see if now, uh, does anybody have any questions? Ray, hit star eight on the phone. And here is North Nevada. Um, hold on just a second. Okay, we got, okay, uh, Nation, Illinois Nation number two, but, okay. Go ahead, Nevada. 
Hello, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Um, I asked you earlier if doing an administrative procedure would be a good idea, and you said yes. What, which one of Dave's courses would I get, since my money is very limited, to explain the 83, section 83 process so I could use it with administrative procedure? Um, I don't teach anything civil. I don't do anything administrative. Um, what I teach is directed at preventing an indictment in the future. Um, administrative work is so exhausting. Uh, it's toilet work. Everything they say is unlawful, and you, it, I can't afford to digress into a toilet like that. And so I don't even teach civil. And uh, the extent of my tax work is really beamed at preventing indictments. There are other people that are doing work with my arguments administratively. Uh, Chris is one of them. Uh, talk to Chris specifically about that. Uh, that's something he offers on the side, possibly. I'm not sure if he's doing it at the moment, but it's nothing that I do. Yeah, the uh, Don Gron. Has, is handling a lot of the administrative stuff right now, and his email is jd.consultants.com. Uh, dot, excuse me, at live. Let me say that again. JD, period. JD.consultants, plural, at live.com. Got it. And, um, and, but the Section 83 book, and the breaking the code uh, video is will give you a lot of information and a, a lot of um, you know material that you can argue section 83. You get all the case law in it. You got um, you know you got the you can formulate your own argument from this um, from this material. Okay. I have to do, I have to do something because the uh, illegal levy is killing me. Now, I understand that, and believe me, I I, I do. And uh, and you and about a thousand other people are all faced with the same thing. And liens and levies is one of the hardest things to deal with. And I'm going to jump over um, uh, two and one for a moment and click on. Don Gron, because I know he wants to say something. Go ahead, Don. Oh. Okay, yeah. I just, you were giving my email out, so I just thought I'd say that uh, I'm pretty full on uh, clients right now, keeping real busy here and active. Of course, I also do TV shows, and I hope to do another one with Dave here. So, but, uh, but yes, Dave's stuff is good. He was excellent with, uh, with, uh, um, um, what's his name? <laughs> you know, the, the other attorney there, and, and that was an excellent uh, broadcast. So everybody should listen to that. I think it was uh, most uh, worthy. And uh, what's his name? Not Tommy Cryer. Who's that guy anyway? But that was good that you were on that interview show there. And so, and Dave's stuff is works, and I think is the safest step too because we're just asking questions of the law, essentially asking to clarify. The law, which is our right under the Taxpayer Bill of Rights, which is now a code under 26 U.S.C. 7803. It's um, uh, uh, A1, uh, 
A one three no A A one as no three A one there we go <laughs> so no 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 so it's anyway seventy eight oh three and the yeah, seventy eight oh three parent three is where is where they codified the taxpayers' yeah. bill of rights yeah and it's A three A that's what it is A three A bill A three and big A Especially the A, but also they uh, also have the right for, to challenge the IRS and get response, and also the right to something called due process. That's D-U-E process, but the IRS generally spells D-O process. They do the process, and to hell with you because you don't have any right to say anything because you're delinquent in your taxes. So pay up, and we're doing the process. Everything you say is frivolous, no consequence, and you're S-O-L. Uh, like the guy who's saying he's really getting killed by the liens. That's what happens, and they don't give a damn. So, uh, yeah. But we but we do uh, show that the law holds. Like one guy who who had uh, a 10-day notice from the IRS, we put our stuff into them, and they were really going to hammer on his wife. And, and I guess that was uh, January. And I just checked with him, and he said, and he never heard back from the IRS. They had dropped him all, all entirely. They were really on their case, and then they just uh, uh, lost his address or something. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, he hasn't heard a thing from them. So that's what we do. They don't have any anything to stand on if we bring up uh, and acquire uh, explanations of the law under the law, under 7803. seems like that, is, uh, that plus 83 is uh, really uh, the two linchpins that really uh, nail the IRS's coffin. And they have to die and go away. So, uh, on a case by case basis. Okay, that's, well, thank you, Don. I'll, I'll um, in fact, I need to talk talk to you. I meant to do this week, Uh-oh. but I'll get in touch with you in the next couple of days. You're going to give me a good talking to, huh? Okay. Well, no, 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 no. We need to help people. And, uh, <laughs> I know. And, and so I got to beat you up with a hammer. Yeah, um, yeah you bet. Yeah. Okay, thanks okay, a brother. lot, Don. Appreciate oh, anytime. Yeah. And, okay. But Dave's the best, everybody. Go with Dave. No better man Thank in the world. Thank you, John. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's go. Il- Illinois Nation, you're not unmuted there. Hold on a minute. How come you're not undoing it? There you go. Go ahead. John? Jeff, you can hear me? Yep. Can hear you now. Okay. So, yeah, I can hear you. So, it's 26. 26- uh, USC twenty uh, seventy three oh three parent A. You said yeah seventy eight oh three, and it might be oh. parent A, and then parent three. Here I'll I'll look it up real quick while while you're uh, talking. Well, it's just okay, a so list my... of things. It's a list of things they say you're entitled to. No, okay. Um, it's, yeah, I see. Basically, right, yeah, the Bill of Rights. Right, right. Okay, so here's my thing, and, and Dave, I didn't know you were on the phone, but um, so yesterday I was talking to a couple of guys about the whole tech, uh, Section 83, and they they said, and I keep getting this from people, and I don't really know what to say about it. They keep saying, if that's true, attorney would be charging people three to $500 and be defending them in court, and, 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 and you know, they would be getting them out of all this, all this tech stuff. When you said, um, Chappie, when you said, I can't because I'm an officer of the court, 
Well, so what? You're an officer of the court. Why? Why is that? Why is <coughs> what kind of excuse is that? Why can't they do it just because you're an officer of the court? What, why does what does one have to do with the other? Explain that to me. Well, those are two. Those are two separate questions. Uh, first, you have to treat them as two separate questions. The first one, somebody says, well, if that was true, then do da day, blah blah blah. Well, that's somebody who presumes that the courts are not corrupt. You mm-hmm. can't have this even if you do go to court. So it's not a matter of attorneys will be filling this gap. It's a matter of don't even argue the law or they'll take your license to practice away. So uh, there goes the first question. The second question, which was uh, – uh, say that again. The, the, the second one was just because they're the officer of court, why can't you, yeah. why can't you argue this point? Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We both know that obviously that is setting aside the law in favor of your status as an officer of the court. You can't have, you can't be both. And he chose to go with officer of the court, even though the job description doesn't include the law. And so the first place you go is the criminal code, period. The first place you go, I have rights to liberty, and if I don't get my arguments there, if I don't get effective counsel, I could go to prison. How is that not a conspiracy against my rights by the people that make him take the license before he can practice and the ones that impose upon him a condition with which he agrees that deprives me of my access to the law when it means the most? How is that not a conspiracy against my rights? Criminal complaint. He's in conspiracy with the judge to exclude statutory arguments from the record. And I would file a criminal complaint that includes the public defender, and it would sure as hell make uh, anybody that the court wants to appoint next think twice. Mm. Who knows what they would do after that, but that's where I would go with that one, is right to the criminal code. Don't conspire against my rights. Right. I, I, I was trying to – I followed um, Robert Lawrence, Illinois' uh, case uh, with, when the IRS – and his defense with the, was the OMB number. And they decided to drop the case before it went to court. Um, and his, his uh, attorney was Oscar Steele. The next thing I find out, Oscar Steele's in prison. Was wow. it because – was it because he, he – as an officer of the court, and he decided to argue uh, some statutes that the court didn't like, and they took his license away? I don't know. what. I don't know. Who knows? Um, so many victims, so little time. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Any time at all. Okay. Thank you, John. And um, let's see. We got uh, Mr. Donaldson. Go ahead. Mr. Donaldson? Yeah, Donaldson here. Jeremiah Guthrie, a.k.a. Donaldson, here to um, uh, really kind of just give, you know, say hello. How you doing, Chappy? Good. How you doing? Good. Uh, hope everyone's doing well. Um, I, I hit the star eight button because the, guy, the gentleman was on the call um, asking about administrative procedures. And I know that's not an area that we like to delve into. So I just put the link into the chat room for an administrative procedures checklist 
if you guys wanted to access that, you have more, you, you know, you can take a look at that and see if it helps you in your, in your process or whatever. But one thing about the administrative procedure is that is a, is this rule of futility whereby if you're already hurt, then it, it's, you know, you don't have to exhaust administrative remedies. And so the point that Dave makes about not necessarily needing to pursue uh, is, is a valid point uh, on, on, on multiple fronts. Uh, you know, most administrative procedures is really uh, something that's, that's restrictive for government agencies and, 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 uh, and the like. But there it is, nevertheless. Okay. But the other thing I wanted to ask, maybe Dave, if he could clarify for me, is um, the standing issue um, when it comes to taxation and representation. Uh, let's say if we don't have a common law township and we're we're being, you know, we're basically being bulked into the uh, conglomerate uh, incorporated government there at the local level, maybe it could be the municipal corporation or something like that, um, is, uh, is standing an issue as far as, uh, <clears throat> how do I say it? I, okay, well, the taxation without representation, meaning if, there's, if it's a de facto state uh, tax, right, if you started taxing at the local level through a township structure, would they still have the standing to come after you for these supposed um, taxes, you know, uh, state income tax or whatever the heck it is? Would they still have that type of standing if you were already doing it at the local level through and to your own community? I've, Thank, I've you. never had the occasion. I've never had the occasion to look into any of that. Not one speck of any of it. So I'm the wrong person to ask. Uh, about any of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cenk, thanks a lot for taking and, the and question. What I, I urge you to be careful of this. Be careful of notions that happen to be formulated by their by their author uh, out of a presumption that you owe what they say you owe or you have to perform what they say you have to perform with no reference to the law to see whether or not the law has actually been written to make you do certain things, especially taxes. You have to get to the baseline when they first enacted the tax into statute. You have to read that and see if it had a limited scope. Nobody does that, and they simply say, oh, it must be because we're not a township. It must be because we lost common law rights. It must be because I wore white after Labor Day or whatever. And they go off on these tangents and develop this whole thing based on a presumption that enforcement's legitimate. And then they try to find a reason that legitimized enforcement instead of going to the law to see in the first place whether or not enforcement was legitimate. So uh, it's easy. It sounds like what you just outlined to me had maybe two or three of those points uh, laced in and throughout it. So... Uh, start there. Go to the law first for whatever particular mode of conduct or enforcement you're talking about. You go to the law first to see what they can and can't do. If I might clarify a little bit, um, are you properly being? Are we properly being represented um, in order for there to be a tax to begin with? And that's why you go to the law 
concerning the particular tax you're speaking about. Okay, there's a bunch of different taxes, and you go to the root of the one you're talking about. An example, they have an EIF uh, fee on every retail sale in particular counties in Colorado. It's called the Environmental Improvement Fee. And no law imposes it. The city council and, and regulators just went around and asked the businesses to do it. And yet if somebody else looked at it, I received, you go, why am I paying that? Oh, I must be in a federal zone. I use the zip code. Okay, and they go off on a totally different thingy, whatever. So uh, you always start with a law and pick a topic that's important instead of some little thing a city's doing. There are federal issues that you can uh, fight. Excellent. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Sure thing. Oh, and I yield the mic, uh, Chappie. Thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, Chris has gone to sleep. Um, no, I had, I had it on mute. Okay, then. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was coughing. Um, the, uh, uh, I, I, I'm fixing the, the link to send out to the email list. I'm just going to put uh, discuss, uh, I'm going to put talk to you in the, in the subject. And, uh, and that link that, that Donaldson gave will be in the email to everybody. Uh, and if you haven't listened, if you haven't listened to the Beecraft interview yet, it's on my talk show channel, 59615, and on my YouTube channel, linked from wevgov.com. Click on the YouTube 2 link and uh, get the criminal intent course if you haven't got it already. It's dynamite. Enjoy the videos, and uh, I'm going to talk to everybody later. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Chris. Bye. And um, uh, also, uh, let's see, uh, LT, call me in about a half hour. And let me see, I'm sending out the email as I speak. Uh, and Frank, are you still on there? Gone fishing? Yeah, good. I want you to call me, too, in about a half hour, 45 minutes. I will stay up until... Uh, you guys call, well, not until you guys call, because you may call at 1 o'clock in the morning. But call me in a half hour, and if I'm on the line with one person, I will call you back if, if you call. And uh, so with that being said, um, I found, uh, I just want to say for those who might be interested, I found an excellent way that we can fund uh, what Dave and I want to do. And if anybody's interested in knowing more about it, call me, and I'll talk to you for 10 minutes. I'll tell you what it's about. And if you're not in interested, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, but it's, it's a great it's, – it's I feel like I'm walking on the clouds. It's a great, uh, great timing. So with that being said, God bless America, and this call is officially over.